All right. Welcome to Chief Chats with Kevin Hobby and Todd Hagopian. I'm Kevin Hobby. And I am Todd Hagopian. And we have a fantastic guest for you today. One of my good friends on Twitter. I am so happy to have him here. Radical capitalist, Mark Pellegrino. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, guys. Mark Pellegrino here, a Hollywood actor. Ooh, that, that and radical capitalism doesn't seem to go together, but whatever. <laughs> the world is weird now. Um, so I, want, I just wanted to tell you a little bit about my, uh, my journey, my crazy circuitous journey to liberty. I mean, I, I think I started out like most state educated kids, a, a Democrat uh, on the left, environmentalist, writing to President Reagan. When President Reagan was elected, I was convinced we were all gonna die and write, writing to him as, as, as Secretary of the Interior as a young man, what was his name? James Watt, I think his name was. I was sure he was going to destroy the environment. Um, and so I was a fairly activist and a member of a number of environmentalist clubs and, and uh, I think held typical uh, left-wing perspective. Then I went into acting school and I, I, I by luck, happened to enter a school that was different. The, 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 uh, the teacher there, uh, had gotten God for some reason and was a was a conservative and started uh, sort of pushing conservatives' ideas in acting class on people. Now most people found it offensive. I was sort of intrigued by the things he was saying because it was so different from what I had grown up with. And my mom, by the way, was like a, I guess a, a Ralph Nader uh, leftist herself, armchair politician, and. Uh, that sort of got me thinking. So I would buy, purchase uh, some uh, conservative uh, intellectuals work and I'd read through some of that and got, got me thinking. And, and there was this character that I, a friend of mine, uh, actor friend of mine who we'd rehearse constantly. And we used to go out after rehearsals to a Gorky's cafe, Russian, Russian cafe that's open till five o'clock, open till like, 24 hours and we would we'd eat and drink coffee and talk politics and philosophy uh for hours and hours and hours and hours and he kicked my ass all the time and he was he was an objectivist and i, I just I, I i thought well shit I, I think i'm pretty sound in my principles here why am i losing these fights all the time i know i just can't find the words so I, I, I said I, I have a few authors i want you to read let's exchange some books he's uh, our favorite books I'm sure they're going to have an impact on you. Maybe yours will have an impact on me. So I gave him five books. I don't even remember what I gave him. He gave me um, The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged. And that turned me even further. Um, reading The Fountainhead and Atlas Shrugged completely turned my world around. Um, I, I still didn't release my hold on, on the left yet, but I was losing my grip. And uh, went through a stage of sort of... Uh, loose conservatism and or at least a sim sympathy for conservatism o over leftism uh maybe because i held some of their social perspectives um and then um and then finally about uh, eight or nine years ago i fell completely into the classical liberal side and gave up conservatism entirely so that, that, I mean, that's in a nutshell, if that was even sensible, I don't know, because I'm so tired, but uh, that was my 30 some odd year odyssey uh, towards freedom. 
Well, that's awesome. And uh, and just so you know, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the show, but part of the dynamic here is Kevin came from the left and I came from the right. So Kevin had a similar upbringing um, mm. with you as far as where he came from and how he uh, got to got to liberty. Uh, you're going to have to forgive me if I say libertarianism. We're usually talking to libertarians and I know um, that we're going to talk about the difference between radical capitalism and libertarianism here in a little bit. Um, <clears throat> and maybe just real quick, uh, give a bio of your Hollywood acting, uh, just so people know and, and can put a face to the, uh, since we don't do video here, so that they know who you are. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah. So uh, uh, hope, hopefully they might know me as uh, Paul on Dexter, season one of Dexter and part of season two. Uh, Lucifer on Supernatural. I played multiple seasons. I was series regular for three years on there, but I played multiple seasons as a recurring character, basically from season five on to 15. And uh, Lost, I played a, the character Jacob on the show, the series Lost. Um, I, I was in a sci-fi series called Being Human, where I played the, the vampire boss of Boston, which was quite fun. Um, I was on that mainly in the first season, but recurring in the second through the fourth seasons. And then uh, The Returned and uh, The Tomorrow People were two series that I did. And now I'm doing a series in, in Pittsburgh called Rust for Showtime. You know, playing, playing a, not a, you know, a bad guy. My usual, uh, my usual fare. <laughs> and that's awesome. Yeah, I know. Uh, Jacob from Lost is my favorite. And of course, my wife is big time into Supernatural. Uh, so... <laughs> uh, talk a little bit before we jump into policy which is where we'll spend most of our time but talk a little bit because uh, we've had a few folks from Hollywood and or kind of the bottling side of things uh, with Jessica Vaughn from Playboy uh, and, uh, and a few other people um, talk about what it's like to be more of the conservative side the capitalist side inside of Hollywood has that had much of an effect on you and, and how has that looked yeah, I don't know if it has. I mean, it's possible that people won't hire me because they don't like my political perspective. But the, the beauty of being a radical capitalist or an objectivist is that you, you don't really fit into any box. And so the people on the hard left in Hollywood um, can't place me. So they can't hate me because I'm not a conservative. I, I hold most of their social values and probably then some, right? Um, I'm probably even way more liberal than they are socially, um, and uh, and so they can't they can't put me in that box, and the ones who are not so hard left uh, are intrigued by the things that I have to say. Uh, look, I mean, you, you know, like like so many of the of our communities out there, the loudest voices are the ones we so, sort of associate with with whole industries and. Um, you know, Hollywood is a lot more complex than people give it credit for. I mean, certainly the the predominant theme is is left leaning for various reasons. I have my own theories as to why that is. But you know, there's there's also tons of there's tons of conservatives and libertarians in there, and there's lots of people who are open minded. And I think today, especially because people are seeing how corrupt the duopoly is, there's even more open mindedness towards a third option. So. I, I am not um, ashamed to talk about my politics on the set. I do. People tend to ask me stuff and 
I get into it. Uh, I always have, even before I got into Twitter, I was never ashamed to say what I thought. Um, and I find more often than not, people are intrigued by the things that we out of the box political types uh, are saying, because, you know, we're not, we're not, we're not speaking in bromides. We're not, uh, we're, we're speaking in real sentences with real thoughts that uh, we think we can uh, back up and, and we have this uh, kind of moral righteousness that the left has, you know, that the right doesn't have that, but that we have that I think is energizing and interesting for people. Well, Kevin, I think that was a really interesting answer because we've often talked about that, about how uh, libertarians, not necessarily radical capitalists, but libertarians have a real hard time um, expressing the fact that we are actually more liberal than liberals uh, on many of the key issues that they care about. And Mark seems to be threading the needle nicely where he doesn't box himself into libertarian where he has to um, explain away the naked guy on the stage or Joe Exotic and all this stuff. Like none of that stuff is sticking to Mark and he's able to talk about his policy the way we, you and I have talked about wanting to talk about our policies. Yeah, he's converting me as we're going. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, Mark, how about you jump in and um, and kind of explain uh, radical capitalism versus libertarianism? Talk a little bit about your um, the party that you founded, uh, where that's at, and how that plays into all this as well. Wow, that's that's massive. That's a lot to unpack. I don't know if I'll be able to do it, but uh, I'll start with the party first because that's personal. Um, a few years back, uh, I had a discussion with a. a a friend on Twitter, uh, we, we both thought that maybe it was time to put out an, an, another idea. Uh, we saw the, the parties sort of crumbling, they're were not crumbling so much as becoming so alike that people couldn't, couldn't really um, distinguish the left from the, the right anymore. Of course, I think Trump sort of changed all that, but um, we thought it was time to, to put another idea out there. And so we we got together with Andrew Bernstein, who, who is a philosopher, um, an objectivist, uh, teaches philosophy. And uh, he's written a number of books, uh, Capital Solutions, The Capitalist Manifesto. He's, he's a, a cheerleader for capitalism and probably the best person we could get to write a consistent individual rights platform. So we got him to write the platform. We edited it. And then we just put it out there. And at first I tried to get a couple of candidates in uh, one candidate in um, Colorado, uh, but at the time he declined. Uh, and we've been sort of, I'm so busy, I can't quite you know, devote time to it. Um, I did try to convert Justin Namash over Twitter uh, DMs, but he didn't return my Twitter DM once I said, you should leave the Libertarian Party and come, come to the ACP. Um, so for now, it's just a, it's a platform of ideas right now that is, I think it needs to be in the universe. It needs to be out there as a counter to uh, libertarians uh, to show people that libertarianism, whatever that means, um, I don't even know if libertarians know that what that means, it, it, that that's not the, the only uh, alternative to statism out there. Um, and I think uh, lots of people who are afraid of the anarchists in the libertarian movement uh, would probably find great relief in the fact that, oh, there's such a thing as uh, 
capitalism with a government and uh, that capitalism can't exist without a government in my view, um, I think would be more appealing to a, a broader group of people. Now, for me, libertarianism is a, is a political ideology in search of a philosophy and an ethics. I think it tried to, it tried to appeal to a broad audience by, by eliminating the one thing that politics is based on, which is ethics. Um, you know, uh, individualism is an ethos. It's, it's an ethical, it's a school of ethics. And you have to orient your relationship to liberty around that ethics, right? So um, I find libertarians to be more of the mind that uh, uh, liberty is an end unto itself. Um, it's not a means to an end. For me, uh, liberty is, is a, an acknowledgement of something. It's a, it's a social tool that we use because we recognize something in human nature um, and the way human nature has to interact in a social circumstance. So we, we, we say there's this thing called liberty, which is the mitigation of force, right? Uh, I think and libertarians just seem to use it as the as the uh, imposition of their own will on 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 the world and uh, their own standards on the world and they they don't seem to think that there is such a thing as objectivity when it comes to ethics or objectivity when it comes to law objectivity when it comes to government um, and so they their rejection of objectivity and their embrace of subjectivity and the fact that they don't they they claim to have an ethics, but it's it's what it's the uh, it's the non-aggression principle, which is not an ethics at all. It's it's not even an axiom, but they treat it like an axiom. Um, makes the Libertarian Party sort of rudderless to me. Uh, they they accidentally swerve into some good policies that you know are about shrinking government, but their consistent advocates are anarchists, which I think is um, I think it's antithetical to capitalism. Capitalism needs a, 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 a systematic protection of property rights. They, they, they need a, a single set of rules that apply to everyone, thus objective law. Um, and there's no, there's no possible way to protect contracts and property and uh, any other business venture without that kind of um, systematic uh, monopoly. And, and their, their notion, uh, tell me if I'm just going on too long or, or, or need to bring it down, but the, the thing that's most disturbing to me is this, it goes right along with their moral relativism is this concept that, that there can be a market in imposing your will on other people, which is what force is. Force is imposing your will on other people. And it is always a monopoly. Um, what else is the forcing your will on somebody else but the imposition of a monopoly? If, uh, Todd, if you came into my house with the intention of robbing me, you are attempting to force your will on me. If I catch you in the act and try to stop you, I am going to try to force my will on you. One of us will win. Okay, so even in that small exchange, a monopoly of force is going to reign as it always must in any region, in any geographic region. You can't have, uh, you can't have a, a capitalist quote unquote protection agency 
and a communist quote unquote protection agency in the same in the same region um, because the way they will compete with each other is to fight they'll fight <laughs> they'll fight until one is done right and, and and until the monopoly is achieved so i feel like libertarians oftentimes analyze the problem of protection agencies and competing governments from our our current situation which it sort of is every time they say we can have competing governments i say don't we isn't that what checks and balances are? Isn't that what the federalist system is? And is that what local state and federal is supposed to be? And when they say, we, well, we want private protection uh, agencies. Well, can't you have that now? Well, you can, you can certainly have that now. Um, the only beef I, I, um, I agree with the libertarians and the anarchists uh, on is that taxation shouldn't be compulsory. It should be voluntary. Um, uh, does that does that lay out sort of yeah the yeah Let me, um, go ahead Kevin yeah and it's it's funny because you're echoing a lot of the views that I echo within the Libertarian Party and I get called a communist for because I talk about all the time how an an ANCAP is a it's kind of an oxymoron you cannot be an anarcho capitalist private property does not exist without the government because the only thing that the only reason why you have private property is at the helm of violence. It's my violence versus your violence. If I break into your house, just like you said, if I break into your house, the only repercussions for me are what you can do to me and what the government can do to me. And that's why private, that's why property taxes exist. You're paying a tax in order for the government to enforce violence on your behalf if somebody comes at you or tries to take your property. Because in an anarchism, if I come into your house and you don't kill me i own your house that's it that's the only thing so private property only exists if there's a government or if it's at the helm of violence and that's it and that and i get called the communist within libertarian circles all the time because i talk about this and uh, so i'm really glad to hear because you advocate for a state which is sane <laughs> yeah and and so um, let me come at it a, a couple ways here so that i can clarify mark so there, there are many different kinds of libertarians, right? Anarcho-capitalists are probably, I would say, a large portion. Um, actual anarchists are a small but noisy population inside the party. Mm -hmm. um, most of the small L libertarians that have nothing to do with the party are probably in that anarchist camp, right? But they don't participate in the party. And then there's the minarchist, you know, and that's where I fall, which is um, basically the night watchman state, you know, police courts and laws that protect civil rights. Uh, and that's where I think you and I have agreed on uh, in many areas in, in the past is some government, but not much government. Um, and, and I believe, you know, um, the pragmatists inside the party and even some of the Mises caucus, which is the right-leaning caucus inside the party, kind of fall into that minarchist um, camp. What do you think the difference between that minarchist, small government, welfare, not welfare state, the night watchman state um, versus the American capitalist party is? Or are those two kind of pretty similar? I think they, they would be similar, but I don't like using minarchists at all. I don't, I don't like anarchy married to 
any political concept at all. It destroys it. It's, it you know, I know it's a it's sort of compromise, but it's a comp it's it's a bad compromise. <laughs> you know, you just say that you want a capitalist state. Just instead of saying a minarchist, just say you want capitalism, which is, presupposes a night watchman state only. You know, presupposes it. But man, I, I really love what you're talking about. I, I got so much hate from other libertarians because I posted out like we should be just as worried about anarchists as we are communists and people freaked. They lost their minds on me. No, you should. You should. Yeah, I think um, I said something similar, right, Kevin? And everyone went. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. And and. I get, I'm telling you, I get hate all the time because people will come at me and they'll be like, oh, well, you know, an anarcho-capitalist or an, anar uh, an ANCOM, an, an, an anarcho-communist is, you know, that's an oxymoron. I'm like, well, so is an ANCAP. Like, you cannot have either of these systems without a government. You cannot have, and, and the problem with, like, we should be just as worried as libertarians, as, you know, American capitalist as whatever you want to call it, we should be just as worried about anarchists as we are communists because they're both equally as dangerous. And people yeah. freak uh, out whenever I say that. No, yeah, I don't know equally. I, in some respects, you know, you know, anarchists are even more scary because they're, they, at, least, at least the communists has sort of an integrated view of existence, you know, and integrated philosophy and anarchist is like there is no law there's no moral law governing them at all um and the only thing that governs them is their feelings you know they want that to be the judge jury and executioner no matter what they say i always see them coming back at me with you know with that 14 year old notion of the way the world works which is me 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 it's all about me now now it is all about you but not in the way that they mean it that's for sure i mean it is all about you pursuing your life and your happiness um exclusively which you know um is an anathema to the two-party system today it wants you to sacrifice everything for them um but it's not but it's not in that Nietzschean sense that they that they want to do it you know which is I my will or nothing I mean I, I, I see guys like Adam Kokesh talking I'm like dude you're sort of scary he sort of scares me a little bit have you ever met him in person no no he would scare you a lot <laughs> no, uh, like would him. he <laughs> like, I like Adam but but, but yeah he's uh... he's he, he, you know uh, yeah he's <laughs> He's, he's pretty scary. No, I agree. I mean, I'm telling you, I talk about this stuff in libertarian circles all the time. And I have, I've been labeled a communist, a Nazi, all these different things. They're, I they're, am, they're stuck. They're stuck in this idea that this, it's, you know what they're like? They, they remind me in their argument about how bad the state is. They remind me of the, the anti-gun lobby, you know, that focuses all their energy on guns. Guns are bad. Uh, they can't see that it's an inanimate object and it depends on the values of the, the, the person. Well, it's as if the anarchists have, ha haven't seen an evolution in government over the past thousand years. It's as if it's always been the same. Um, it's as if the Magna Carta never happened. It's as if, it's as if the bloodless, the glorious revolution never happened. It's as if the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution never happened, but they did. And that did change government for a while. Yes, 
because we have inconsistent principles, because we've lived a certain ways for such a long time, you know, power was able to seep back into areas that it shouldn't because of the inconsistencies, the holes in the philosophy, the part altruism, part, part uh, uh, individualism uh, ethics that animated uh, our, our founding. Uh, enabled that paradox enabled you know uh, you know statism to creep back into it but it took you know a good hundred some odd years for it to do it fully uh, to the extent that it is now and that is a massive improvement uh, over you know uh, the historical models of government as far as I'm concerned and if we were to make our government consistent a morally individualistic uh, government uh, that was a night watchman state, um, I think it would be uh, undefeatable. Yeah. Now, let yeah. me ask you the question that I hate being asked when I'm being interviewed, but is always extremely important to be able to answer. So I'm going to give you the opportunity. Why not try to build the capitalist movement inside of say the Republican party or the Libertarian party, why do your own party? We get asked that all the time as Libertarians. So I'm gonna ask you just so you can lay out your thoughts. Well, I think the, I think the Republican party gave up principle a long time ago. <laughs> so that's dead. And now Trump has changed the landscape completely. So um, now whatever pretense to principle they had is completely gone. Now, now they're all invested in in the pragmatic strong man. Uh, and I think they're staking their political lives on that character. So they're, they're done as far as I'm concerned. Um, I, don't, I, I don't think you could reform them and still call them the Republican party. Um, so I, I, I don't think it's, it's worth it coming at it from that, their angle. They've already, They've already been unfaithful to capitalism for a hundred some odd years, and uh, it's time to get a divorce. And the libertarians, of course, um, they don't have principle either. Um, and they've got a, they've got lots of pragmatic notions about the way the economy works, and you know, there's a lot of it that I agree with, but um, no, no coherent, no coherent moral philosophy. Um, and I think, you know, politics is downstream from morality. It's, 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 look, to me, morality is, is an individual code of values that you pursue to thrive in your life. And politics is the show, social expression of that code of values. Um, and I don't see that in libertarianism. So you need to start something that's consistently individualistic um, and start from scratch. So, I mean, I think the good people from libertarianism and republicanism, the minarchists, as you say, that um, are disaffected from both of those parties could come to the capitalist party and actually make it something very substantial and let the statists from the anarchists, you know, the, the statists from the Republicans go over to the Democrats. Let there be one statist collectivist party versus the individualists um, out there. Um, and because I, I think that's truly what the moral battle is, right? It's collectivism, collectivism versus individualism. Sure. Um, talk a little bit about some of the major podcasts you've been on recently. Um, what you've enjoyed, what you, who you've met, you know, what you've gotten to talk about. 
I do a podcast twice a week called The Daily Objective um, with the Ayn Rand Center UK. Uh, and, um, you know, I, there, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Objectivist, but sometimes we've had Greg Salimieri on there, who I love. He's, I think he's a great philosopher. And, and uh, of course, Euron Brook has come on, who I'm a huge fan of. I consider him sort of a mentor. Um, and uh, of course I did Michael Malice uh, and I was really sort of amped up about, about that because uh, I've listened to him for a while uh, on Tom Woods, on Tom Woods' uh, podcast. And so it was, um, it was really fun to talk to him. I anticipated something else though. I thought, I thought, I thought we were gonna get into, get into it like, um, not as much as he did with Euron, like with Euron Brook on, on Lex Freeman, they had like a four hour, four hour thing. And in hour three, they started talking politics and it got really, really interesting back and forth. And um, I fully expected Michael to, you know, snark me, to give me a lot of Lucifer snark, but he was really, uh, really cool, really nice. And, you know, what I really liked about him was his respect for Ayn Rand. As an objectivist, you don't you don't feel a lot of love uh, for Ayn Rand coming from lots of different communities. The libertarian community has sort of a, a love hate relationship with her, I think, and um, and I sort of expected a little of that from Michael, but no, he was he was very clearly admires her as a philosopher, and and so that was nice to see that because usually I have to push back on people about about her. What other, I mean, I did uh, David Fight's uh, um, podcast recently and uh, he was smoking a pipe during that. I don't know if that was pot or what that was. I thought he was smoking dope while we were uh, That's talking. not with the libertarian circuit. <laughs> <laughs> it was okay by me. It was It was probably tobacco. I know he smokes tobacco out of a pipe a lot. He thinks oh, it he makes him it? look, I think he thinks it makes him look sophisticated. Uh, Big shout out to David Five, by the way. That dude is he, he awesome. There's nothing that can make him look sophisticated, but he doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I think I've, I I just met him recently on online. I think he he discovered me, and I discovered him. Uh, in I was in some kind of fight somewhere. Oh, here's what it was. I had retweeted somebody's. Uh, uh, is her name Olivia Rando? Yes. Yes. Yep. She she had somebody from some group. What are they called? The Boogaloo Boys. Does that make sense? Yeah, the Boog Boys. Boog Boys. Yep. Okay, I don't even know who these people are, but you know, I like her. You know, and I I favorite and retweet her stuff because she's funny. And uh, she, I guess, she was having this character on her podcast, so I retweeted her her because you know she's a, a Twitter friend. And uh, the the SJWs came down on me like. The people who, who claim to hate me but follow me obsessively and and you know and and dog me at every corner about how immoral and awful I am, um, and they had just literally the week before got on me for retweeting another friend's podcast because the person that they had on um, they, they didn't like the person that uh, that was that they were having on. So that started a huge debate on free speech. And, uh, you know, they were calling this guy a Nazi. I'm like, first of all, I don't know what this guy, if this guy is a Nazi, but you, you, you want to have all, all ideas out on the table. Um, you shouldn't be afraid for these 
people to get a platform if they're so irrational? What are you afraid of? I mean, the thing you want is these ideas to be in competition with others. You don't want to push them underground where they metastasize like critical race theory did in academia for 35 years before it burst onto the scene like alien um, in devouring everything in its path. No, you want to you keep these ideas out in the open, you know? Uh, yeah, Nazism sucks, and I'll tell you why. And I'll be one of the first guys in line to tell you why it fucking blows, if you don't already know. Um, and that's, that's how ideas, you know, fade out of use. That, you know, they, 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 society, you know, gathers enough appropriate for those ideas that they, they just go away. They don't even become very, they don't even become influential. They do, though, when people are looking to ban things and, and, uh, and, and cut off thought. And then people start harboring these ideas they, and they start reacting with them as if they're clubs and shields, right? I mean, Nazism is this, this alt-right movement is getting force by virtue of the fact that the people on the left are emphasizing nothing but race now. Oh, I'll I'll stop you there. I think that Nazism is a is an alt left movement. Oh no, it is. Yes, it is. I, yeah. Okay. I, okay. I, 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 look, I get flack for that all the time too. Because I do too. Yeah. Socialists hate me because I say fascism is left is a left. It's left. It's one hundred percent left, and yes. there's no argument about it. Right. I, I was using sort of the you know the, the common way people look at it. Unfortunately, mm. I think because, you know, the left wing intellectuals wanted something worse than Stalin and Mao in the eyes of the people. So they 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 pretend that Hitler and Mussolini were right wingers. Right. Well, let's not pretend that Che Guevara was any better. I mean, I know that he's the he is the epitome of. Oh, my goodness. Right. Absolutely. Back. It's so funny to me to see that he, he is like this face of the left progressive movement when he literally murdered people for being gay. He like that's that's not a it's not a debatable fact. I mean, it's documented 100 percent. And he was a monster. He was and, a rapist. He killed children. He was a horrible human. He was a cliche of a horrible. Yes. That's how awful he was. If, yeah. if you talk about the things that he did, you wouldn't believe it. If you wear a shirt with his face on it, you are a dumb mofo. You are stupid beyond. Yeah. The I mean, it's like wearing a Ted Bundy shirt, but worse. Yeah. Yeah. Worse. That's true. Well, you know, they did a movie on him called The, the uh, Motorcycle Diaries. I don't know if you ever saw it. Don't. No, I didn't. Well, don't. Because it's a romanticization of this guy. You know, it's, it's as if... Uh, I, 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 did, did Fidel Castro edit his diaries? I think he might have, but it could have... Fidel Castro could have written that movie. I mean, this, it, was, uh, it was an ode to Che Guevara. Ooh. Yeah, I, I need to check it out just so I can see how terrible it is. But so we've talked about podcasts that you were on and how much you loved it. Let's talk about what you didn't get to on those podcasts. Okay. <laughs> so, well, I mean, the, the main thing is the market in, in um, imposing your will on other people. I just don't think there is a market for that because force is by its nature a monopoly. So you, you know, so you either have an objective monopoly or you have a series of subjective monopolies in trying to impose their will on each other. Uh, either way, the strong man's going to win in that case. Or, you know, you, you join civil society and you realize that civilization is, is mostly about mitigating violence. 
which means subordinating violence to reason. How do you do that? By, by delegating that thing called violence to this institution we call government. And that way I am attempting to always, always subject or subordinate retaliation to a process, always trying to do it through a process um, as opposed to just, you know, straight violence versus straight violence. So the idea that, uh, that, you, that uh, force can be anything but a monopoly is, uh, is one thing that I wanted to get to with those guys that we never did. How, how can it, uh, tell me how you can have a, a, a market which is defined by non-force, which a market is defined by free and voluntary exchange, not force. How can you have a market in force? Yeah, it's interesting. And um, yeah. can you guys answer that? Well, I definitely can't. I can tell you right now, I can't. I'm not a philosopher or an economist, but I definitely can't. Okay. Todd, you got any ideas on how you can have a market on an inherently monopolistic uh, action? Yeah, so, so ask it in a different way, just so I can take a shot at this. Uh, okay. Um, most anarchists believe, or libertarians will even say that, you know, force should be privatized. I say force is a public matter always. I also think it's inherently monopolistic. And since it's that way, we, we have to delegate it to an uh, uh, institution that is governed by objective law, right? Objective rules. Um, and it, there has to be a monopoly of, 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 that, of that force of it, if we're subordinating violence to reason. It, it, we don't have to have that monopoly if we're okay with violence all the time. But if we want to mitigate violence, then it has to be a monopoly. <laughs> Got it. So you were actually talking about the market of force, not the market. Right. Market of force. <laughs> so, um, no, and, and like I said, I think I'm on your side as far as uh, the night watchman state. So I would agree with you. And that's one thing I've gotten a lot of pull from folks in the movement to try to get me over to the anarchist side. And I've stayed pretty firmly where I'm at uh, because I believe that you need to have judges, you need to have um, laws that protect civil rights, and you need to have some, some type of defensive military. And those are the three things you need to have. Now, if I could stop government right there, that's where I would stop it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but those are the three things that I believe have to be in place and, and really can only be fulfilled by the government. Now I'm going to get a lot of hate. Thanks. Thanks, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll get it too. So. People are going to say that you're, turn, that, that you're turning communist because I'm on the show. This <laughs> <laughs> is crazy, no, man. I, I agree with you. I, I think that those are the things that, in my opinion, need to be, um, need to be done by government and, and can be limited to that. You know, like you said, the original, the founders wanted it limited to that, plus a little more. You know, they weren't, they weren't strictly classical liberal, but they were closer, a lot closer than we well, are. Well, they were substantially closer than we are. And, and what it was, was, was a lack of principles along the way, different groups that got in power and once you get in power you make rules that benefit you a little more we've seen that with both the republicans and the democrats over the last 20 years where every time they get in power they get this feeling that they're going to stay in power 
and their principles slip a little bit and they put in some things that allow them to have more power than the next guys get into power and they already have more power and they do the same thing and it just kind of builds and builds um so so the trick is and the argument from the from the ancaps and the anarchists is is how do you stay at the night watchman when you know that human nature takes you in the other direction and that's a, that's an equally tough question to answer i think well i think it's i think it goes back to that old adage of you know motivation is a lot like bathing you need to do it daily we just need to continuously audit what we're doing and pull it back well, I think I think like I like I said earlier, you have to have consistent principles, consistently individualistic principles. And one thing that I think would reduce government overreach, or, or at least the propensity for the political class to keep strengthening itself, is to have a complete separation of economics and politics. So, literally, a constitutional amendment. Uh, where it is as, as sacred an amendment as the separation of church and state. And for the same reasons, right? This, this, the state should have no control over your conscience, which I think is essentially what separation of church and state is. It should have no control over your property and your, and the, your voluntary transactions with other people. If you did that, that would, um, that would probably cut down 99.9% .9 of it. And you'd have to make, you'd also have to go through the constitution and weed out contradictions in it that enable uh, enable these onerous uh, power grabs to, to be cemented into uh, law and custom. Um, look, the Supreme Court has been working hard for a long time to steal our constitution from us. Um, That's actually going to be my next question is where does the Supreme Court fit in, in your view? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're supposed to be the philosophical wing of the government. They're supposed to, you know, um, they're supposed to be the great unmovable force that, that stands up for the principles enshrined in the Constitution. But clearly, that's not the case, you know, clearly, um, they're as infected by radical skepticism and and uh, as, as the rest of the intellectual community out there and are just as prone to think that the constitution is just a piece of paper and that's it, um, or that it's a living document and they can impose their will on it, given whatever their preferences are. It's a matter of populating courts with people who stick to the law. I mean, I'm for innovators in, in court provided they innovate in the right direction. <laughs> you know, I don't think just the originalist interpretation is, it's great if you're starting at ground zero, but since we're now expanded, we need, um, we need activists in the court who go the opposite way, I think, and start returning decisions that are pro-individual rights again. Let's, um, let's swing back to the party for a minute because I'm, I'm legitimately interested here and I know you and I have talked about the party now for a couple of years. What are, what in your mind are the next steps? And I know you're crazy busy and, and all that. What are the next steps that you would like to see uh, the ACP take? I mean, I would love for somebody in, in a local election in some state, probably a red state out there, uh, pick up the, the banner and do the grassroots work that they have to do to get themselves on the ballot and get elected under our platform. 
and or if if possible um you know see somebody uh, see a conservative or even somebody on the left who's who's aligned with our principles and wants to switch out of the democrat democratic party see them see them turn like i tried to get justin amash to do when he was turning libertarian i was like come on come to the come to the uh, acp <laughs> um but uh yeah so I think it's gonna, I, I know that getting on the ballot is a daunting thing and that's only part of it. Once you get on the ballot, you know, you become a target of the duopoly that, that has almost endless resources to destroy you when you're just starting out. That's the, why the, the guy in um, Colorado wouldn't run. He said, look, the, the Republicans and Democrats attacked me when I ran, because he ran as a third party. I don't even remember what it was that he ran at. Um, but they they tied him up. They tried to get him on violations of this regulation and that regulation. Um, uh, you know, so they're using their cartel leverage to uh, you know to maintain power. And so I, it's just we just need somebody out there who's got the the energy to to deal with all that bullshit and and get a local election somewhere. Well, and and I would um, I would encourage you to to check out the map and look for places where you can dual endorse to, because that's a good way to get your name out there. I know New York does a lot of that, where multiple parties can endorse one candidate, mm. uh, and it's a way that that the newer parties can come in and um, and get attached to people and run run them and help them run. Um, I think that that would be a really interesting kind of moderate step um to to where you're headed which i think is great where you're headed um this has been an awesome episode mark i wish we could go for three or four hours but we tend to go for about 45 minutes so we are going to have you back on as many times as you're willing to come um Thank but you. but for now uh tell everybody where they can find you uh mark r pellegrino on twitter <laughs> I'm, I'm the controversial feed well i guess we probably all you don't have your your feed isn't uh, doesn't drive people crazy, does it, Doc? Oh uh, yeah, not at all. People yeah. love me. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky you. You could also find me if you if you just want to see pictures of my my animals and you don't you don't want to engage uh, in political or philosophical talk. You can go to Mark Ross Pelly on Instagram, and uh, I have I have uh, a lot more followers on Instagram than I do. Yeah, what kind of animals? I've got two dachshunds and uh, and a cat named Cody. Yeah, my profile my profile picture on Twitter is a fan picture, a fan art of me with my cat, and my two dogs. So mm -hmm. if you look at that, you'll see you'll see them aptly um, portrayed by a very good artist. That's awesome. My family owns a dachshund uh, breeding facility. Ah. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, these guys. I've got a dapple one. Oh, that's so cute. Yeah, my guy's, he's 14. And then Johnny over there is 13. She was, she was just in the hospital. She had a little uh, issue. She's doing better now. Oh, no, I'm glad to hear she's doing better, though. Yeah, I got a two-year-old uh, blue dapple. Oh, short so hair. Cute. Oh, yeah. that's so cute. Yeah, um, my little guy, he's my best friend in the whole world, so. I get it. I get it. 
Yeah. But yeah, man, so, so glad that you came on. I don't think I've ever agreed with a guest more than you. This is, this is so much fun. I just tweeted it out. Like, I don't think I've ever agreed with anybody more than you. I'm so glad you came on. I can't wait to have you back, man. Thanks, man. It'd be great coming back. Thanks again, Mark. Looking forward to it. Yeah. Thanks, Todd. Hold all my calls. He's a libertarian in chief. This is the libertarian chief chat. Just a libertarian chit chat with the chief. Oh, hey, I'm Kevin. I'm here, too.